0: and open to Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 33 this morning, it's page 848, page 848 in the Pew Bible, and I apologize in advance if I sneeze or have to blow my nose, the ragweed and the seasonal allergies are in in strength right now, so (laughs) last night we had some friends over and after they left, Carrie looks at me and she goes, you look awful. I said, thank you. I know what you mean. But <laughs> um, So I took my allergy medicine, so I should be able to get through this morning. Um, if you have an opportunity, I encourage you to uh, take a lovely walk this morning down the ramp outside. This past week, Pastor James and Paul Reardon, uh helped fix the sagging that was happening if you ever walked on the ramp. So it's talk about a firm foundation. You could sing every verse of that on there and not fall through. So uh, we're very thankful for that, uh, leveled things out and reinforced that. So thankful for those, those men. If you found your way to Mark chapter 11, let's pray and we will look, read our passage together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here to worship you. You are the one who is seated on the throne, but you are also the one who has been brought low. Lord, you are the suffering servant king. Lord, as you sent your son to take on human flesh, to be born of a virgin, to not only serve others, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Not only did he die, but he died a traitor's death on the cross for us. Lord, thank you. And now you have exalted him and you have given him a name above every other name. And at that name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord the question is, will we do it from a posture of worship and thanksgiving, or one of fear and judgment? May we recognize the authority of Jesus this morning, and may we not ride the fence, but may we submit ourselves to it. We pray in his name. Amen. Mark chapter 11, verses 27 through 33. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I've mentioned before my um, enjoyment of reading history, and I've been working slowly through a trilogy of books on World War II and the European Theater uh, of Action. So I made it through the first book, which is all about Northern Africa. The second book is about the invasion of Sicily and Italy. Um, and we often think of a D-Day, the invasion of Normandy, as this massive invasion across the English Channel, and it was. But just as large and as dangerous was the invasion of Sicily. It's an island there off the boot of Italy, And the Allies, being in North Africa, launched this attack across the Mediterranean uh, on Sicily. And this is really the first time that they were learning how to do this. As they got to D-Day and then the invasion of Normandy, they had experience of this invasion, but they didn't have that experience as they invaded Sicily. And uh, reading the account of it, it's amazing that they got anybody on shore. (laughs) All kinds of miscommunication Uh, different, uh, cables had been cut by the enemy. So they weren't able to relay information. Uh, people just simply didn't do what they were supposed to do. Um, there was one case where they were supposed to be flying in and dropping some paratroops after the, uh, the invasion already taken place. Well, nobody relayed that to the army on the beach and it was the worst, uh, Uh, worst account of friendly fire and deaths associated with that in the history of of modern warfare, all because people weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing, because communication was lacking, and really because authority was not being listened to. The person who led the invasion of Sicily was George Patton. If you know anything about George Patton, he was not a humble man. Uh, He was far from it, Um, and he would issue commands, but some people didn't like him, that they wouldn't follow his commands. And in the army and in the military, if orders aren't followed, the whole structure breaks down. It's an issue of authority and doing what you've been told to do and listening to those in authority over you who tell you, hey, do this, don't do that, watch out for this. But as providence would have it, they would be able to invade Sicily, make their way into Italy, attack the soft underbelly of the Axis powers and leading to the rest of the war. But this idea of authority and disobeying direct orders, of listening to those in command, we might think, well, yeah, that makes sense in warfare, but in my own life, how does that apply? We don't necessarily have a general over us directing us in our day-in, day-out activity. We aren't part of a regiment or a battalion or a company or a platoon with a commanding officer. Yet as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have a king. We have somebody who's in a position of authority over us, even over all the other authorities in our lives, directing us. And he has the ability, in a sense, to give direct orders. He is the one who can do as he pleases. He is the one who is calling the shots. He is the one orchestrating everything. He is the one who has the ultimate authority. As we come to this passage here in Mark, this is the beginning of some confrontations that Jesus will have with the religious leaders in the temple. So last week we looked at the, uh, the cleansing of the temple and the fig tree, but now we will look at these confrontations of the religious leaders with Jesus concerning taxes and giving and the greatest commandments and it starts with authority it starts with authority here in verses 27 through 33 and really that shouldn't be surprising because the religious leaders the sanhedrin those 70 men who were part of this ruling body that was part political part religious over the nation of Israel they sought power and position and authority they th- sought to rule their little realm as best they could under the authority of Rome. And they longed for the day when that was gone. But it wasn't for the right reasons. It was so that they could carry out their own desires. And here we see this confrontation with the religious leaders and Jesus concerning Jesus's authority. And we've talked about authority here in the Gospel of Mark a lot, right? Jesus's kingdom authority. It goes all the way back to chapters one and chapters two, right? Jesus uh, is baptized and immediately in Mark's gospel in chapter two, if you remember, they tear the hole open in the roof and let down the paralyzed man. And Jesus says, rise up, son, your sins are forgiven. And what do they say? By what authority can he forgive sins? Wait a minute, what, whose authority? On whose behalf is he speaking? Because only God can forgive sins. So if Jesus is saying he can forgive sins, then he's coming from God. Wait a minute. If he's coming from God, is is he the Messiah? What does that mean for us as religious leaders? And throughout the Gospel of Mark, we see how Jesus' authority is demonstrated through his teaching, through his preaching, through his miracles. And how it is fought against by the religious leaders. All the way back in the first chapters of Mark, in Mark 3, the religious leaders are confronted and it says, and they sought a way to destroy him. And here they are doing the same. So let's look here at Mark chapter 12, 11, verses 27 to 33, about Jesus' authority. Our, our big idea is this, is that the authority of Jesus demands an answer. There is no riding the fence. There's no finding that third way, that middle way. It's you're either all in, or you're not. <laughs> you either recognize and submit to the authority of Jesus or you are his enemy. Let's look here at this passage. We're going to walk through it through these uh, seven verses or so and then we'll have two main points which are application points as well uh, for the passage. But let's just walk through this looking at these verses here. Verse 27, they came again to Jerusalem. So this is Tuesday of the Passion Week. Sunday, Palm Sunday, they make their way in they welcome him as king. They rejoice. Hosanna, Hosanna. He looks around. Monday, he comes back. He cleanses the temple. He cleanses the temple and um, casts out the money changers and those selling items for sacrifice because they were, they were perverting the house. They weren't uh, treating it uh, as a place of worship as Jesus, as the Lord had told them to. Now, this is Tuesday. As Jesus again comes. To Jerusalem, and he's in the temple he's in the temple complex. This really was the center of the the city of Jerusalem, and especially this week being the Passover. So they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. Uh, and I have this picture in my mind. Here is the unruly customer, and now they've sent out the managers, right. <laughs> uh, if you've ever been in a situation where you've seen somebody in a store causing a scene um, and the workers can't handle it, do I need to get my manager? It's that kind of idea. The religious leaders, those who oversaw the temple, come to Jesus, right? And, and we see several people named here. We have the chief priests. So these are the leaders of the Sanhedrin. Uh, it would be the, more than likely the chief priest and his son and some other close family uh, coming to see Jesus. These are the, the pinnacle of the religious powers in Jerusalem. And then the scribes. These are the experts in the law. These are the nerdy guys who they, people are arguing, and they look to and say, is that right? Because right? they have everything memorized. They know it inside and out, frontwards, backwards. The scribes. And then the elders. These are the, the other uh, well-respected people more than likely members of the Sanhedrin. Uh, Mark uses these three to kind of give this all-encompassing religious leader uh, frame of mind. So these people come to Jesus and they came to him and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things or who gave you this authority to do them? So what are, first of all, these things that he's doing? Well, it would be cleansing the temple. That would be a big thing that would be on their mind. It happened the day before. Jesus would probably be teaching and preaching in the temple as well, and as we have read, the people hear Jesus teaching and preaching, and they are astonished because he teaches as one with what? Authority of understanding, and they're probably thinking also about his entrance into Jerusalem, because here is somebody who has come into Jerusalem as a king, and then all these other accounts of these miracles and things that Jesus has done, these things are really the culmination of all of Jesus' ministry, of all of his miracles and teachings and things he's been doing in the past few days. How can he do all these things? And the question is, by what authority? Who's giving you the authority to do these things? And whose name are you doing them? And that was huge in the first century. It was huge because the way that things worked, uh, it was very top-down. From Caesar to governors to magistrates and local rulers. And there were different ways that you could communicate authority. If you had a signed paper with a seal. Uh, here, here's, the, here's, the, you know, here's the letter that I have that I can do this. Here's the seal of Herod. Here's the seal of Pontius Pilate. Here's the, the seal of Caesar. So, you're just a man. How can you be doing these things? Who's giving you the authority to do these things? And he says, by what authority or who gave you this authority to do them? They want to know. Who do you think you are doing these things? Now, if you think back to the previous accounts where Jesus has been confronted by the religious leaders, who have they attributed the work of Jesus to? Satan. Satan. They said, "Well, it's by, it's by Satan that he casts out demons." And Jesus goes, "Right, because Satan would cast out Satan. That makes a lot of sense." No, they attributed the work of Jesus that they saw with their own eyes to Satan. Call that the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin. Uh, we walked through that in the earlier in the Gospel of Mark. So it's interesting that they asked Jesus this question and. In my mind, I think, do they really care or are they just looking to trip Jesus up? Because I think they already have their mind set on who or by what authority Jesus does this. And we'll see that play out here in their response. So they ask Jesus this question, by what authority or whose authority do you do this? And Jesus responds in verse 29. He said to them, well, I will ask you one question. Now, this isn't Jesus being a smart aleck. Uh, <laughs> no, let me ask you a question. This is very common in rabbinical uh, teaching uh, with students in the first century. It's like that idea of that wise sage. Oh, what should I do? Well, let me ask you a question. You know, what did you eat for breakfast? You know, it, it's, it's kind of in that vein, but not, not really. It's the, I'm answering your question with a question, to draw something out, to draw something out. Uh, um, Some of you may know Pastor Dave Callison. uh, He serves up at at the camp and uh, a good friend, and we went to the same church in Mason City, and uh, he would often say this uh, just in conversation. He goes, accusations harden the heart, but questions prick the conscience. If you say you're doing this, instantly the defenses go up. But if you ask someone, why? What was your motivation? Accusations, heart and art, questions draw things out to help you think and to, to process and say, okay, why am I doing this? And here, Jesus is using a question to get to the heart of the matter. Jesus doesn't say, you don't really care what authority I have. But he says, well, okay, I have a question for you. Answer this. And he says, I will answer your question I will ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Pretty simple. I'm going to ask you a question. You give me your answer, and I will give you my answer to your question. And this was his question. Verse 30. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. So John is John the Baptist. And the baptism of John... obviously refers directly to his baptism, but to all of John's teaching. Because what did John teach? He says, repent and believe, right? For the, the Messiah is coming. He's coming, be baptized. And what was this baptism? You know, there's a lot of questions on that, but it's a, it was a sign of repentance and belief in the coming Messiah. That's what, 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 this, what this baptism was. And it was a it was a recognition of the sin of an individual and the coming Messiah who is coming, you know, looking for this, this Messiah. And it was all of John's teaching. The fact that he was the one in the wilderness, you know, proclaiming, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Basically, was John from God or was he just a crackpot? Was John's ministry real or was he just some crazy guy who liked eating bugs? <laughs> um, what, what what was your idea? What, what are your thoughts here, religious leaders? Was he from heaven, meaning sent from God, that he was God's messenger, the forerunner of the Messiah? And if he is the forerunner of the Messiah, then wait a minute, what does that make Jesus? Ah, oh, <laughs> he is the Messiah. And if he was from man, well, then Jesus is probably just another man. So what do you think? Pretty simple question. Did you receive the teaching of John, or do you deny it? Verse 31, and they discussed it with one another. I have this humorous picture in my mind of Jesus asking this question, and then, then all turning around like huddling. Like football season's here, you get in the huddle. Okay, what are we going to do? do? I don't know, can't say this, can't say that. What, what do you think? No, it's a terrible idea, right? I'm waiting one second, you know. They're huddling up, discussing. And we, we read of what they were discussing, what they were thinking. And they discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? So there are really two answers to the question. He's from heaven. He is sent from God or he's from man. Two options. And if they say, well, he's from heaven, then they are already realizing that Jesus is going to respond. Why didn't you listen to him? Because they didn't listen to him. What happened to John? He was beheaded. (laughs) Now, obviously, Herod, one of the Herods, beheaded John. It wasn't the religious leaders, but I don't think the religious leaders were too sad about it. In fact, they probably, under their breath, yes, were glad to be rid of that nuisance. So if they say he was from heaven, then the blood's on their hands. Why didn't they receive John and, in doing so, receive Jesus? but shall we say from man? And they're afraid of saying, well, John's just a man from man. Why? Because they were afraid of the people for they all held that John really was a prophet. Uh, November's coming up. There's going to be an election. And it's that time of year when you get things in the mail, you see TVs uh, or commercials on TV and commercials on the radio and this person, this person and the politics. Well, I can't offend this party and I can't offend this party. And how do I gain the support of this party and this party? And these are religious leaders. They're political leaders and, and they know the political capital that they have with the people. It's not very much. And for them to say, well, he's from man. The people would be upset because the people recognized who John was they were afraid of the crowds, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they have a catch-22 right here. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? One author says this, a decision about John is a decision about Jesus. And that's really what it comes down to. If John's baptism was solely from man, that is fully explainable by empirical science, then the Sanhedrin may be justified in its accusation of Jesus. But if John's baptism was from heaven, that is divinely inspired as the crowds believed and as the Sanhedrin evidently feared, then Jesus's authority exceeds mere human authority and must be explained by the authority of God. The discussion about John is a reflection of Jesus. If they accept John, then they must accept Jesus. If they reject John, then they reject Jesus. So they are answering amongst themselves. And so, verse 33, finally, we have an answer. They answer Jesus. We do not know. (laughs) It's like, okay, come on here. (laughs) Uh, Yes or no? I don't know. It's like when you take your child, or at least with my kids, I'm snack, I'm hungry. Okay, let's go to the pantry. What do you want? Do you want this, this, or this? I don't know. Do you want this or this? I want something else. No, those are your options. (laughs) You can have a granola bar or fishy crackers. (laughs) It's all we got. (laughs) I want something else. That's not an option. Here they are trying to weasel their way out. We do not know. They feign ignorance. Come on. Everybody has an opinion on John and Jesus. It's not like these guys are impartial saying, oh, I've never thought about it before. Yeah, right. (laughs) They've thought about it a lot. This has been in the forefront of their minds since Jesus' ministry became public. For them to say, we do not know, is a bold-faced lie and shows the insincerity and selfishness of their own hearts. We do not know. Jesus said to them, well, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. If they aren't going to come to a decision on John and answer Jesus plainly, he's not going to give them an answer one author said, his refusal to answer is essentially saying that if they have no discernment in the ways of God with reference to John, they have no authority or ability to judge the source of his authority. So, is there, no reason, so there is no reason to answer. If you can't come to a decision about John and speak plainly, then you're not going to be able to receive me, and I'm not going to waste my time, in a sense, with you. And these aren't people that are generally seeking. These are religious leaders that have every aspect, every opportunity to know and learn about Jesus, but yet they deny him and seek to undermine his authority that he is demonstrating. Jesus says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. As we look here at the religious leaders and the situation that they are confronting Jesus with, it's about his authority. Is Jesus truly from God? And that's what Mark has been presenting over and over again that he is the suffering servant king from God, that he has authority, he has the right, he has the ability to forgive sins, to do all these things in the name of the Lord. But as we look here at the response of the religious leaders, two things that undermine the authority of Jesus in our lives. First of all, power and position undermine the authority of Jesus. So you look back at this account. It's all about authority and who has authority. Who has the ability to say, I'm in charge, I can control, I can tell others, I can, I can do things. Power and position undermine the authority of Jesus. One commentator said the question of who has authority as God's representative is at the center of this episode. It's all about who has authority as God's representative. The religious leaders who claim to be God's anointed leaders. Over the temple and the Torah have turned out to be frauds. They are unable or unwilling to identify John and, uh, and doing so are unable to recognize Jesus, that he is one who speaks and acts with God's authority. Why? Why don't they want to? Why won't they? Well, first of all, it's the power and position that they have. They are seeking to control their little empire, their little kingdom. They are the, quote unquote, rulers of the people. And what little authority they have, it's been corrupted. It's been corrupted. And we see uh, accounts of that in the Old Testament as Jesus prophesies, especially in uh, in Ezekiel. There's a passage in there about the, the shepherds of Israel going astray. We talked about that Uh, in the the miracle of feeding the 5,000. How Jesus looks out of the crowds and and he has compassion because they are like sheep without a shepherd. And we see that prophesied about in Ezekiel when the shepherds of Israel are gone. They're unworthy shepherds. These are the unworthy shepherds. But they are still in positions of power and authority trying to hold on to. This obstinance reveals their heart. They are a stiff-necked people. Their hearts are hardened to who Jesus is. Their pride blinds them to the Messiah. They want to hang on to what little authority that they have rather than recognizing who Jesus is. They've built their own little kingdom and they do not want to give it up. Their power and their position undermines the authority of Jesus. But the amazing thing is, Jesus' authority does not depend upon their assertion of it. (laughs) You may not believe that Jesus has power. That's fine. He still does. And that's important for us. Today, people can reject Jesus because of the pride in their own hearts as unbelievers. They don't see their need for Jesus. Ah, I'm fine. Who does Jesus think he is? I'm the captain of my own soul, as one famous poem goes. I'm the captain of my own soul. And that is not true. The pride, the individualism, the the autonomy that we think we have, it undermines the authority of Jesus, and we are blind to it. Unbelievers do not see their need, nor will they humble themselves to see it. That's a demonstration of weakness, of saying that Jesus has authority over you. Even as believers, our pride or position is can undermine the authority of Jesus in our lives. We live for ourselves according to our rules and our desires rather than submitting everything to him. And it's a daily battle. It's hard. Day Day in, day out saying, Lord, today I'm submitting myself to you. It's a daily taking up your cross, denying yourself and living for him. That we are not in control. That ultimately he is. One commentator simply said, their pride and their self-interest outweighs their submission to the will of God. And how often does that happen with us? I can't do that. I I can't humble myself in that way. I can't go and ask for forgiveness from that person. I I can't. Serving in that way is beneath me. Our own pride and self-interest outweighs our own submission to the will of God. So we need to be on the lookout for that power, that subtle hints of pride in our lives where we want to build our own kingdom and not Christ's. Secondly, fear of man undermines the authority of Jesus. Just as the religious leaders wanted to hang on to their power and authority, they also feared the people. They feared the people. They weren't stupid. They could read the room. They knew the temperature of the crowds. Of what would happen, and rather than acting on truth or saying what they really maybe believed, the fear of man directed their thoughts. They were afraid of the people. Not only were the religious overwhelmed with their own self-interest, but that manifested itself in the fear of man. How often have you done something because of what somebody else thinks and not because of what Jesus thinks? How often have you done something because you care about what somebody else thinks, but not what Jesus thinks? Now, there, Not that there aren't times when we want to please someone and be an encouragement. That's not what I'm saying. But the time when you know that God calls you to do something very clearly and plainly in his word, but yet you're afraid how somebody else is going to react. It's fear of man. That's that's pride manifesting itself in a a different way. There's there's the pride that says, I want mine. Then there's the pride that says, I don't want to upset others or I'm fearful of what they might think. They sought to control the people and were afraid of the response. Just as much, we can seek our own good selfishly. It can manifest itself through the fear of man. What will others think? We operate out of fear, concerned with the opinion of others rather than the truth of who God is and what he thinks of what God is calling us to to faithfully serve him no matter where he has us. In whatever context that is or the relationships around us, say, no, I'm going to follow Christ. (laughs) I have decided to follow Jesus. Would we do that or are we overwhelmed with the fear of man? The religious leaders are confronted with the truth of who Jesus is. They know who Jesus is. You can see the battle in their own minds that they are just flat out rejecting Jesus. And it's their own power and position that undermines his authority and it's their own fear of man. And those are ongoing battles for us as believers in Jesus. Though we recognize our sin and have perhaps put our faith and trust in Jesus, it's a daily battle a fighting self of putting sin to death, of not operating out of our own self-interest and desires in an active, prideful sense, and not acting out of a passive fear of man of, I don't want to cause waves because of what people might think sense. But may we seek to follow Christ as he calls us, as he lays out in his word, to love God and love others, To hold fast to what is true. As we read in Psalm 37. That we would trust in him. That we would desire him. That we would wait on him. That we would live for him. The authority of Jesus demands an answer. May we not him and haw like the religious leaders. Well I don't know. But will we recognize it and submit to it. Day in and day out as followers of Jesus. Each day taking up our cross, denying ourselves, and following after him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder and the example from your word. Lord, of the negative example of the religious leaders and the desire for their own power and position, the fear of man. Lord, that can manifest itself in our lives in subtle ways. Give us keen eyes to inspect our hearts that we would fight the sin That we would have others around us helping us, encouraging us, calling us to truth, coming alongside us. And Lord, as Jesus talks to his own disciples about what it means to follow him, may we hear those words, that we would take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow after him. Lord, we pray this in his name. Amen.